All right, welcome everybody to the interview. We are so excited to have you with us. And today I am joined by a good friend, uh, somebody who's been a part of my life now for uh, over 15, 16 years now, going all the way back to my Bible college days. I am joined with Pastor Dr. Dan Crabtree. Welcome to the interview, sir. Thank you. Yeah, so excited to have you. Would you please open us up in prayer? Lord, we ask for your blessing upon the words that will be shared, and we pray that wisdom from your scripture will penetrate our hearts, and Lord, that our minds and our thoughts will, will be challenged, will be changed, so that we can more accurately reflect you in our lives and embrace the mission, the mission that you are calling us to join you on. And we're so grateful for the incredible significance that this invitation brings to our lives as the people of God. In your name I pray. Amen. Lord, I just agree with my brother right now as we ask the Holy Spirit to please help us to say what you want us to say. That you would fill our mouths with the word of God. That you would prompt our thinking prompt our awareness of your presence, that you would help us to say that which would be uplifting and beneficial to everyone who will listen to this video. God, I just thank you for my friend, Dr. Crabtree, who is with me today, and somebody who has meant so much to me and many, many others uh, all around the world that have been uh, uh, just dispersed all around the world uh, that have sat under his teaching and uh, in ministry today, God, I just pray blessings over him and his family and this conversation together in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, friends, uh, as I've said just a moment ago, Dr. Crabtree was a professor of mine at Central Bible College many moons ago. Um, can you believe it's um, 17 years, 17 years ago? Wow. Um, Hard to believe. It's just crazy, and uh, a lot has happened since then, but we've stayed connected, and I've kept up with you, and literally hundreds, if not thousands, of young men and women have been uh, sent. Uh, the Bible calls them living letters, right? Paul said living letters sent all around the world that have sat under your ministry, and it's a real honor to have you today. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's an honor to be here. Very good. Very good. Well, let me introduce you officially to the people watching in case they're not familiar with your ministry already. Today we have Pastor Dr. Dan Crabtree. Uh, he has his BA from Central Bible College. He has his Master's of Divinity from Ashland Theological Seminary, and he has his Doctorate of Ministry from Ashland Theological Seminary. He actually did his doctoral work on the topic of uh, women in ministry, which is a phenomenal thing. He's lectured and debated on the subject. And uh, in case you're wondering, he is pro-women in ministry, all right? <laughs> His wife is a pastor, and they actually co-pastor together a church plant up north in the Boston area. And I'll have you talk about that in just a minute. Uh, but Dr. Crabtree is an ordained Assemblies of God pastor, um, he has more than 35 years of experience in pastoring and teaching professionally. Um, so we are speaking with somebody who uh, doesn't just live in an ivory tower as a professor, but he is in the trenches as a church planter, 
as well with his wife. And uh, it's a great honor to have you today as we're going to be discussing the subject of the church and our participation with God in his mission in the world. Brother, take a moment to uh, dive a little deeper. Tell us a little bit more about your family and your ministry and uh, help us to get to know you a little better. All right. Well, I, I've been married for 32 years to my wonderful wife, uh, Laura Lee, who's also an ordained Assemblies of God minister. Uh, we met at a minister's uh, conference uh, all those years ago, and the uh, Lord had brought our ministries together. She's uh, was a youth pastor and a music minister, and we lived in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, she worked at headquarters for the Assemblies of God at uh, the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. Um, and uh, about Eight years ago, I asked her what was on her heart to do, and uh, she wanted to be a church planner, and she wanted to plant a church where there weren't a lot of churches, and when you're living in Springfield, Missouri, that's not, there's lots of churches in Springfield, A lot of churches. <laughs> so I said, well, that, that will necess necessitate a move, and uh, so I ended up contacting an old friend who's now the president of North Point Bible College in the Boston area. And uh, six years ago, we moved out here to, in our 50s, to plant a church. And so that's what we've been doing. Uh, there have been a number of challenges. We didn't know anybody other than just a handful of people that we ended up working with at the Bible College. But uh, we have since been able to make contact with people into the community. And we've had some people give their lives to the Lord. And we've had some baptismal services. And, Things are a little harder sometimes in a, a place that's really kind of post-Christian, like New England is, um, to be able to establish a church. But the Lord's opened doors, and, and we moved from being in our home to having our own location and renting a, a facility. And if COVID would just sort of go away, we could really, we got a lot of people ready to come, a lot of people excited, you know, to be a part of the church. And so we're on the cusp of some really exciting things happening. So it's it's been a crazy experience to do it at this stage in my life. I uh, pastored churches when I was younger before I went into teaching, but it's been exciting yeah. uh, what the Lord has done. And so and you're a father. Tell us about your kids. I, I have two sons. Both of them live in uh, Springfield, Missouri. My oldest son is studying electrical engineering at uh, MSU there in Springfield. And uh, my other son is I'm about ready to become a father, which means for the first time I'm going to be a grandfather next month. And that's really exciting. And my daughter, Kaylee, is 18, is getting ready to uh, go to North Central University in Minneapolis, which is a school her mother attended. And uh, she feels a calling on her life to preach. And so we're really excited about God's a blessing on her life. Yeah. So, um, why don't you brag on your daughter just a minute? I mean, she is a tremendous preacher at such a young age. Uh, you were telling me a little bit about that. And, uh, you know, I think it's nice for our audience to understand that, you know, you have not just passed the baton to people like me and my wife and many, many others, but you've, you've done it with your kids. And that, that just, to me, that's the win. Amen. So, uh, tell us about that. Uh, yeah, my uh, my daughter participated in fine arts a program uh, in the Assemblies of God for teenagers, and she participated in the area of preaching. And you know, you start across the nation with thousands of people who are involved in preaching these short sermons, and 
So they ended up having 500 went to nationals in Florida a year ago. And my daughter ended up fifth in the nation. Um, so we were convinced this was the year she was going to win it uh, because everybody else was seniors and she is a junior and it finished fifth. And so she'd written her sermon and it was, uh, it was the best sermon she's written. Um, she just has a very natural way of delivering uh, her messages and she's a real student. And uh, so she knows Greek already. She can, she can read Greek. She's taken two years of Greek in high school. So when she goes to North Central, she's going to be as a freshman in Greek too. It's right off first semester. And that's, that only happens like once every 15 or 20 years. So uh, she just has an amazing ability to communicate the word, but also to study it. And they really know it. And she, and uh, so I, I can't uh, say enough about her and her yeah. character and just her personality. Absolutely been a complete delight and joy to be her father. That is so awesome. That is so great. Well, listen, we are going to dive right in. And uh, so we, we're speaking with somebody who has degrees on the wall. He's got living letters that have been sent all around the world. He's got kids who are serving God. He's not just a professor teaching people how to do it, but he's in the trenches as a church planter, continuing to, to minister. And I would love it if, if you're watching right now, uh, do, do what I'm about to do. I got my, my moleskin out, I've got my pen, I'm gonna sit back in my chair and I'm gonna learn. And so I hope that you guys will do the same thing and we're going to interact and have a conversation on God's mission in the world and how the church uh, is going to be involved with God's mission, not the other way around. And I'm going to have Dr. Crabtree open up with a story that he told me off air just a little bit ago about something his wife said that sparked this whole conversation. I think that would be a beautiful way to introduce the topic, Dr. Crabtree. And uh, because too many times we want to go do our own thing and invite God to come along but I think that what we're going to learn today is that it needs to be the opposite. We need to discover God's mission and go be involved in that. So, brother, take it away. Tell us about the genesis of this thought with the conversation you had with your wife. Yes, uh, I was uh, talking to my wife uh, probably about 10 years or so ago, and uh, I just made the comment, I, I'm trying to figure out what God wants us to do, you know, and, and what are we supposed to be doing and, and and why can't I seem to figure this out? And, you know, I went to teach at Central Bible College. I had a very clear call. I knew exactly that's what I was supposed to do. Uh, but here I am, and I'm wrestling at this stage in my life about 10 years ago and saying, God, what are we supposed to do next? And my wife said, maybe you're asking the wrong question. Instead of asking, what am I supposed to do? Why don't we just ask ourselves, what is God doing? And join him. Awesome. And that, that, that thought absolutely just kind of wrecked me. You know, I realized all my life, I've always been, I got to figure out what I need to do and then convince God to bless my, my agenda, my plan, my mission. And as long as my mission and plan, I can back it up with scripture. I just would assume that's what God wants. And uh, I remember on one occasion, I was uh, praying very fervently for a, a series of needs and was really frustrated because I wasn't seeing those needs being met. And so I would pray over this list and I refine, refine them and change them and try to make sure that they were, you know, truly, uh, you know, what I would consider to be godly things that I was praying for. And one day in prayer, I asked God, why, why aren't, why am I getting more response? 
And God simply said, uh, it, the problem's not what's on the list. You got a lot of really good things on your list. Uh, the problem is you wrote the list. Wow. And, and, and it's like, the problem is that you got an agenda and you're constantly trying to get me to bless it. I have an agenda. I have a mission. I know what I'm doing in this world, and I want you to join me. I created you in my image with the uniquenesses of being human so that you could participate with me in my mission in this world. And, and the incredible thing about joining God in his mission is the responsibility for the success of the mission is his. Amen. As long as it's me coming up with my idea, my dream, and then asking God for blessing, I feel the weight of that responsibility crushing. Um, and now it's like, okay, God, I get to jump in and be a part of what you're doing. And I know it's going to succeed because you said it would. So not because of the resources, not because of the, the people I'm with, not because of the church. It's going to succeed because you have said your mission is going to succeed. Yeah. And while you're, you're talking there, the passage of scripture that kind of jumps in my mind is the moment when Joshua comes face to face with the angel of the Lord, the captain of the hosts, got a drawn sword, and he says, are you on our side or their side? And the angel of the Lord responds, neither. Yeah. And that says to me, what he's really saying is, uh, are you on my side? Yes. Yes. Now the angel exactly. of the Lord is asking Joshua, are you on my side? It's not whether I'm on your side or their side. Are you on my side? And that's, that's the verse of scripture that comes to mind as you're talking. Would you care to weigh in on that? Yeah, that, that, that's an excellent illustration of exactly the principle of, you know, and Joshua had been praying and interceding and he's up against this great, you know, challenge and everything. And, and, and to find out he's just asking the wrong question. You know, we live our questions and sometimes what we need is a better question. We get stuck asking a certain question, you know, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Instead of saying, God, what are you doing? And how can we be a part of that? Once you change the question, all of a sudden all kinds of new avenues open up. But if we, if we, if, so sometimes what we really need is a better question. Yeah. So here's a question for you. Okay. What is God's mission in the world? God's mission in the world is that he wants to bless all nations. I, I think that is probably the clearest, simplest, biblical way that I can answer that question. Now, his mission in the world is obviously to redeem those who are lost. His mission in the world is to restore not only humanity, but all of creation. I mean, Romans 8 is very clear. All creation is groaning for redemption. Amen. And, and God isn't going to just throw the world away. He's going to restore. He's going to make it new. A new heavens, new earth, but it's new. It's going to be restored. But the way he expresses this, the way he expresses it to Abraham um, is all nations are to be blessed. Now, one, one of the things, and in a moment, I want to get to maybe that passage there where he's talking to Abraham and entering into a covenant with Abraham where he expresses his mission uh, with Abraham. But uh, maybe before we even get to that, um, one of the things that I do oftentimes in Old Testament history and literature class, and in two days I'll be in front of students, 
for the first time in months. And, and I'll, I'll probably be talking about some of these things. And that is that we have to ask ourselves, what, how should I approach scripture? Because the approach to scripture is going to determine how much you get out of that experience of reading and studying it. So if I approach scripture and I say to myself, the Bible is a series of rules. I'm going to be reading it to find the rules, and I'll either feel bad because I didn't do it, or I will feel good about myself because I did it better than somebody else, or I will start to look at it as, if I just follow the rules, I'll be more blessed. But I'm, I'm looking at the Bible as a rule book. Okay, the Bible contains rules and laws, but it's not primarily a rule book. That's not the primary purpose for it. So sometimes you will pick up the Bible and they'll read it. It's a promise book. It's got all these scriptures and all these promises, and they're claiming all the promises. And, and once again, the Bible certainly contains promises that are wonderful, but it's not primarily a promise book. The Bible is where God reveals to us who he is. The hero of every story in the Bible is always God. Mm -hmm. Even if you have the Daniel's three Hebrew friends, and of course they're great heroes in that story, they end up in the in the furnace, but the real hero is the fourth man. Yeah. In every story, because the Bible is about him. And what happens is I pick up the Bible and I read for what how I'm going to be blessed. I read for what am I supposed to be doing? What rules should I be obeying? I'm reading it to answer my questions. And I'm not reading it as this is God wanting to explain to me who he is. It's like he wants to sit down over a cup of coffee and say, I want you to get acquainted with me. Here's my story, and I'm going to tell you about my story of my interactions with humanity. Because until you know someone's story, you don't really know them. When we get to meet people, we got to hear their story. That's why I have that introduction before I even start talking at all. It's like, who is this guy? Because that gives you a better sense of who you're talking about. And, and God, first and foremost in Scripture, God wants us to know who he is. Because you cannot trust someone you don't really know. So let's pause there. And, you know, God's mission in the world to bless all nations comes down to uh, the seed of Abraham, who is ultimately Christ Jesus according to the flesh, and you fast-track that through the New Testament. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus mm -hmm. said. You go further into the writings of the apostles, and you see that Jesus is the exact representation of God to us, that he is the radiance of God. He Everything mm -hmm. about him, if we want to know how God feels about something, we look at the life mm -hmm. of Christ. How does God feel towards sinners? How does God feel towards the self-righteous? How does God feel towards those who make uh, what should be a deep relationship with God into rituals and rules? He didn't like it very much. And uh, so if we want to know how God feels about something, we simply need to look at the life and ministry of Christ. But perhaps we should go back to those scripture verses, that, that original promise. We can open up our Bibles together and why don't you lead us through that passage and, and, and help us to kind of understand the genesis of that promise and okay. where it ultimately yeah. 
brought us to Christ. Yeah, let me let me let me just add this little piece to what I was saying about the Bible is primarily about God revealing Himself. The second thing that we see in Scripture is God reveals His mission. He doesn't just tell us His character so we can trust Him. Right. Um, but He then reveals His mission. And the third thing that you see in Scripture that's is that He's inviting us to join Him on His mission. So you say, "This is who I am. This is what I'm about." And this is how I want you to be a part of it. You know, when, when, when my kids were little, they're now in their 20s, but when my boys were young, um, there was a picnic table in the back of our deck and it needed to be painted. So I decided to get out the, the green paint. I'm going to paint this thing green. I guess picnic tables are supposed to be green. And I just came up with the idea, why don't I ask my sons to help me paint it? Now they knew that was a, a dad task, you know, painting a, a picnic table. They could hardly believe it when I told them, here's, here's some paintbrush. Now, my youngest one was so young, he was in his diapers, he could stand up underneath the picnic table. And I gave him a little styrofoam cup and a little tiny, you know, paintbrush to paint that picnic table. Now, they looked at me like they couldn't hardly believe that they were part of this. And in fact, they worried that they were going to drip the paint a little and whatever. And of course, they did. I wasn't really worried about whether or not they got it exactly right. I wasn't worried about, I could fix just about anything that they would have done that would have been wrong. The important thing was they were participating with me in my mission. And, and I see this as what God does with us. It's like he hands us a paintbrush. I want you to join me. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to paint this picnic table. I'm going to bless the nations. I'm going to bless the nation. In Revelation, the nations are there worshiping God. In, in chapters 5 and chapter 7 of Revelation, they're gathered there from every tribe and nation. Ethnicity is present because God has redeemed them. He's going to do it. Yeah. But he's like saying, okay, I, I mean, he's not worried about whether or not we're going to be able to achieve. He wants us to participate with him, however, in that mission and to celebrate the closeness that that brings between us and our Father, that we are so privileged that he asks us to be a part of his mission. And when you go on mission with God, you'll never wonder if your life's worth it. You'll never wonder if you're wasting your life. If those questions are gone, because you're on mission with God. You're a co-worker with the living God. And when it was all over with, I can remember standing there with my sons, and we were in the Ozarks, so none of us were wearing shirts because that's what you do in the Ozarks. And, and I'm standing with my arms around my two boys, and we're looking at this green picnic table, and we were so satisfied. We had done this together. It wasn't just them watching me. It was us doing this together. And of all the things I did with my boys, that's probably the thing that stands out to me the most. That's so Is good. That and, picnic table. You know, just as you're talking, there's so many people who will be watching this, either currently or they will, or they have wondered, you know, does my life matter? And, you, you know, or what is my purpose in life? And why, why did God allow me to be born? Big, deep philosophical questions. And what you just said, man, that just rang a bell in my heart. The second you get on mission with God and participate with what he's doing in the world, you will never second guess whether or not your life matters. That is powerful, sir. Thank you. Yes. All right. Well, let's open up the scriptures. Yes. Let's and 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 let's go to uh, Genesis chapter twelve. And uh, I want to just look at the first three verses of Genesis chapter twelve. 
Um, <clears throat> Genesis 12.1, and this is God entering into a covenant with Abraham. And it's at this point that God is going to start to lay out what his mission is in reaching the world. And the fact he wants Abraham to be a part of it. He's inviting Abraham to be a part of painting the, the picnic table green, right? The, the, the blessing all nations. It, it seems really probably incredible to think you pick an old man and an old woman who don't have any children to go on this mission of the, their descendants and, and the seed of Abraham, as you were talking earlier, who is, of course, Jesus. And, and this incredible task of blessing the nations would have seemed almost overwhelming. But let's read here in Genesis 12. Uh, the first three verses, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Literally in the Hebrew and you will be a blessing is the imperative. It means you, you are a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And what is really fascinating about this is we see the word blessing used five times. Right? Now, you got to imagine what's the first ch 11 chapters of Genesis. You know, after, yeah, and once you get to chapter 3, you have sin entering the picture. And although God had spoken about blessing and when he had created the world, sins entered the picture. Now you have the curse. And although God is still dealing in grace with people, we see individuals becoming increasingly sinful until it reaches a point where God actually is sad that he made it, made humanity. I, I can almost picture God looking out at the sinful choices that people are making and, and there's a tear welling up in his eye. And he, you know, and he spares Noah and through the flood, and the next thing you know, the nation, they're trying to build the Tower of Babel. They're trying to reach heaven while rebelling against God on earth. I mean, when you look at those first 11 chapters, you just see this spread of the sin. And then you get to chapter 12, and God says to Abraham, I want you to know what my mission is. Blessing, blessing, bless. I'm going to bless the nations. He still, all the sinfulness of humanity has not altered God's plan. Amen. Of bringing blessing to the nations. And then he says, but Abraham, I want you to be a part of it. Now, there's an interesting verse in Galatians 3.8, and I won't necessarily turn there, but I just want to reference this. Um, and, and this is the Apostle Paul. In the book of Galatians, he's... He's explaining the gospel has been what God intended all along, and all nations are to be blessed. Now, for him, that means Gentiles. So in the New Testament, you read the word Gentiles. That's everybody who's not Jewish. In other words, that's all nations, right? So he's, he's, he's in a debate about how can all nations experience this blessing through the seed uh, of Abraham, Jesus Christ, whether or not they have to get circumcised and so forth. And he makes this statement in Galatians 3.8. He talks about how... The gospel was given first to Abraham, and he defines the gospel as that he's going to be a blessing to all nations. So Paul looks back and he says, the gospel was already given to Abraham. Even before Moses and the law and everything else, uh, 
he had already expressed it to Abraham. And the gospel is this, that God wants to bless all nations. Of course, gospel means he wants to save us, but we sometimes limit it to that. That's a part of blessing all nations. But the gospel, the good news is, this is God's intention for fallen, sinful world. Is nonetheless, he's going to bless the nations. And we know he's going to accomplish it because we can read Revelation. Yeah. We just get to be a part of this. We get to be a part. We get to be a part of it. Now, after Genesis chapter 12, I want to look at a, another passage, if that's okay. Um, it, also in Genesis, dealing with Abraham in chapter 18. And I want to look at verses 19 to 21. You know, so important is this idea that God is going to bless all nations that he mentions it five times in the book of Genesis. So he doesn't just say it there in chapter 12 when he initially enters into this um, covenant relationship with Abraham. He repeats it in very strategic places. And so in, in chapter 18, we have a story about God coming with two of his angels, and they just had lunch with Abraham and Sarah. And Sarah's a good cook. Is that right? <laughs> Your wife said. Talking about my wife? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, she is. Yes, the answer is yes. Yeah. A little off the subject. But anyway. Yes, she so is. The, you know, God didn't show up necessarily because Sarah was such a delightful cook, but God shows up to talk to Abraham. And here's what he says. And this is a fascinating passage. Um, I'm going to start actually in verse 17 of Genesis 18. It's fascinating because we actually enter into the mind of God. We hear God say, speaking to himself. Right? I mean, sometimes you read the scripture, God, the Lord says to a prophet something or whatever. But here we have God having a conversation in a sense. We get inside the mind of God. What's the rationale behind what God's doing? It actually reveals it here in this text. As we travel into the mind of God, it says, Then the Lord said, Shall I hide? from Abraham, what I'm about to do. This is God speaking to himself. It's his thoughts. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. Now, there's no child yet. And all nations, all nations on earth will be blessed through him. This is what's going to happen. All nations will be blessed through Abraham. For I have chosen him. I have chosen him so that... The reason he's chosen, the reason God has invited him is, is to go on this mission is so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. In other words, to teach them how to obey. And he's going to teach them how to obey by himself doing what is right and just. So he's going to model it in front of them. He's going to not just teach them with his words, but also, it says, by doing what is right and just. So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him, which is the blessing of all nations. So what you have here is you have God choosing or electing Abraham. And election here has nothing to do with salvation, it has to do with calling. Mm -hmm. We save ourselves a lot of grief when we understand that. So Abraham is called. Abraham is chosen. We are all called and chosen. We all are called to be a part of what God's doing. And the way that he's going to be able to actually achieve this mission that God's called him on, be a blessing to the nations, 
is if he's obedient. He himself has to live a life of obedience, and he's got to teach it to his children. That's why it's so crucial that we understand who God is, because we can't have faith in a God we don't know. But if 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 uh, if I had a my grandson is born, I could take my grandson and I could put him in the arms of his grandmother and say, "Take care of him. I'll be back." I can't do that with a stranger on the street. So what happens is if people have only sort of experienced God, if they have only read the scriptures for the stories, they don't know the character of God. They, did, they haven't really listened to him tell us who he is. If we had, hadn't sunk in that a God is a God of love, then when the crisis comes, all of a sudden that gets challenged. And people start to, they start to try to have faith by convincing themselves of something that isn't true. That's not faith. Faith is not mental gymnastics. Faith is not repeating phrases over and over again and shouting them really loud so that somehow you think you're going to suddenly believe it. Faith is when you know someone. You trust her. I have great faith in my wife. 32 years of marriage. I have absolute faith. She might do something that I, it's unexpected. She might do something. Somebody say, I saw your wife doing this and that. And I'd be like, I really don't know why she did that, but I trust her explicitly. Why? Because I know her character. Same thing with God. I don't have to explain everything God does. But when you understand who he is, you understand his character. And that's because you've spent time with him. He's told you who he is in the scripture. He's revealed his character to you. Now you have faith. Now you can obey. But your obedience is going to be hit or miss all the time if you don't have faith, because faith and obedience are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And so it's absolutely crucial for Abraham to learn faith. Yes. And I want to just say it this way, too. There's no such thing, thing as faith without risk. Yes. And, you know, you being a church planter in the Boston area, up in New England, it's a church planter's graveyard. Um, my wife and I church planted in uh, inner city Wilmington, Delaware for seven and a half years. Um, you know, it, to step out in faith, you don't get your answers and then you step out, you step out and then you get your yes. answers. And, you know, we can risk, you can risk it all when you ask the Lord, Lord, what are you doing? How can I be a part of it? Where can I go to be a part of what you're doing? And you trust the character of God. Therefore, you might risk safety, finances, any number of things, being around family, you know, your family, uh, extended family might be elsewhere in the country, but God called you to New England. Um, we had a similar path when we chose to church plant in Delaware. We didn't want to plant in Texas. Uh, where we were at the time, you know, everybody was planting in Texas. Texas has plenty of churches. We wanted to go somewhere that needed us. Um, and so I want to just say to those watching, you have just described faith in a way that even begins to open up some new revelation in my own heart, that faith isn't reciting things over and over again. Faith is not convincing yourself of something. Faith is simply knowing the character of God, and therefore I trust him, 
even if he's doing something that's outside of my human reasoning or ability to know what he's doing in the world, why he allowed a pandemic, why he allowed certain good people to live and bad, you know, certain bad people to live and good people to die. Um, if I know the character of God, I can trust him. That's right. faith and I can obey him. And that may, that may cause me to risk, but it also comes under another banner in some ways. And that is every good story has an adventure. Yes. And, um, and I think God is the best adventure novelist there ever was. <laughs> Absolutely. So, this is good. Absolutely. It, it's a life changing uh, understanding of faith because I, I didn't understand that when I was first a Christian. Uh, but to reach the point where I realized I was intellectualizing my faith and all these questions and God has to answer all my questions. And otherwise I got doubt. And if I have doubt, then that's not faith. And I just, I realized that that's not how faith works in real life. Mm -hmm. What is it? Why is it that I trust my wife? Because she, I ask her questions. Why did you do this and that and interrogate her? I would never do that to her. I trust her character. I trust her character because I know her. And, and that has just brought such a peace in my own mind and heart that I don't have to have all the answers. Scientists don't have all the answers. Like, we don't have to have all the answers. Nobody has all the answers. But I do know his character. I do know his character. So I can trust him. You know, Abraham had to learn that. You know, when Abraham first started out, I mean, his wife was beautiful, and he was worried that they might end up killing him in order to have access to his wife. So he's... He lies about it. You know, tell him you're my sister, you know, and so forth. And you see him in his life struggling and sort of wavering on this faith issue. But the really pinnacle moment for Abraham comes when God tells him to take his son and to offer him as a sacrifice. And, you know, in the ancient world, they would do this. This was done in Canaanite culture and others. Um, they would do it as a way of showing their devotion to, to gods. So Abraham fully understood that he was being asked to show his devotion. And so what he does when he gets this, as, as, as grievous as he may have felt it was as a father, he immediately does exactly what God asks. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't argue. He gets up the next morning. I mean, and, and that moment when... Isaac's looking at Isaac's 12. Isaac's looking at him and he's like, you know, I see the fire. You know, I mean, it's like, I, I mean, I see the wood for the fire. I mean, where's the sacrifice? You know, and all Abraham can say is, God will provide. You know, the writer of Hebrews tells us that he's even reasoning, well, God will raise him from the dead if that's what it takes. Right? But when it's all over with, of course, God isn't going to ask him to make that sacrifice. The ram is caught in the thicket. But the point of the story is that God, uh, or Abraham, demonstrates his willingness to put God first in his life. And so I, I want us to notice um, a scripture here. And the story is found in Genesis chapter 22. And I want us to look at verse 18. And he says this in verse 18, and through your offspring, this is after Abraham has demonstrated that God 
is the one he's going to serve first and foremost. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because you have obeyed me. It's, it's the only way to go on mission with God is to obey. Faith in him that leads to acting on that faith, obedience, is how we go on mission with him. Yes. Otherwise, we're doing our own thing. We may be doing a good thing. We may do a wonderful thing. Other people may appreciate it. We may feel good about it, but it's not God's thing. So the only way to go on mission and stay on mission is if we're willing to live a life of obedience. So at this critical moment when Abraham has really come to model obedience, God tells them that's exactly what's necessary for this mission to be fulfilled, for you to be able to participate in the fulfilling of the mission. Can we pause there just for a minute and talk about how this obedience was credited to him as righteousness. You know, sometimes people wonder what it means to be holy as God is holy, um, you know, to, to walk in a life of righteousness. Obviously, Abraham was not perfect, yet he was righteous, you know. So there was, there was this righteousness that was accredited to his heavenly account because of obedience and though we though we do make mistakes mm -hmm. and you know we have moments where we as humans we fall down and we get back up and that's another definition of righteousness but this guy he might have had a few character flaws lying and so forth but when it came right down to it he obeyed and that's what made him righteous you want to weigh in on that yeah, you know, I, I think he, it's, it's, he learns how to obey. And God's patient with him to bring him to that point. He's not who he was at the beginning of the story. By the time you get to chapter 22, he's different than he was earlier in the story. And so, absolutely, you know, the thing about holiness is that God makes us holy. We can't make ourselves holy. And uh, so, and if I could just jump ahead in the story a little bit to Israel, because God's going to enter into a covenant with Israel, and he's going to say some of the same thing he's been saying to Abraham, right? But now it's going to be to the people of, of God, the Israelites. And he's going to say to them that they're going to be uh, a holy nation, a nation of priests, a holy nation. Now, how is it that Israel was made holy? Well, they didn't make themselves holy. Right? God makes them holy because he brings them out of Egypt. And because he has brought them out of Egypt, he then turns around and says, now I want you to live this life of faithfulness and obedience. So the first 18 chapters of Exodus don't have any laws. It's just the story of deliverance. It's just God stepping in and doing what God does. His mission is to deliver the, these people so that he can use them to bless all nations. Because that's the whole purpose of Israel. They're just fulfilling what God had told Abraham. They're going to be the descendants of Abraham, who are in fact going to be the blessing to all nations. So he's got to deliver them out of this place of bondage, and he brings them into covenant relationship with himself at Mount Sinai. And he says, I, I have delivered you, therefore, now here's the Ten Commandments, or here's the Ten Ethical Words that you are to live by. 
you know. And it's not until you get to chapter 20 in Exodus that you actually have the Ten Commandments, and then you have the laws. It's, it, the laws, however, are simply there to help them to understand not how to be holy, but how to continue in that holiness, how to continue to walk in it. Because if we don't walk in it, then we're not reflecting God. And, and we end up then not revealing God to the nations. And so the critical thing is, is Israel going to be obedient to God or not? But they can't make themselves holy. And holiness is not a matter of keeping rules. Holiness is not a matter of, uh, I did a better job than you did. And holiness isn't even really about, uh, well, you know, you got a really great track record. That's what the Pharisees saw. Holiness is in order to fulfill mission. The reason we are holy is so that we can reflect God and therefore draw the nations to God yes. when they see him revealed in us. That's what God wants to do with Israel. That's why he's going to take them to the promised land because it's the intersection of the trade routes of the ancient world between ancient Egypt and ancient Mesopotamia. And that's how all the information travels and news travels. And if Israel lives in holy covenant with God and with each other, and they don't oppress the poor, and they liberate the slaves, news is going to get out. This is a holy people. They're different. Holiness is to be different. Right? This is a holy people. Wow. What is it that makes them so different? And people would be attracted to God by seeing how God's people, Israel, was living in the promised land. This is all part of the mission. Now, it all hinges on obedience, just like it did for Abraham. And, of course, when you know the story of the Old Testament, we know Israel struggled with that somewhat. And in the end, Christ comes along as Israel's Messiah and fulfills what Israel left undone, uh, what they failed to do in adequately bringing this message to the nations. Um, but holiness is intended to enable us to fulfill mission. I have to be holy, not because I'm trying to be super moral, not because I want you to think I'm this incredible person. I need to be holy because otherwise I cannot fulfill my mission. Yeah. And I, I help people try to understand holiness this way. And that is holiness. And this is a, very simplified term, but it helps get the point across because it, it totally agrees with what you just said. Holiness is usefulness in the master's hand. That's right. Holiness is usefulness. So usefulness. if you, yeah. you are useful in the master's hand, you are, you are useful. And if you aren't useful, like let's say, you know, I think about Jeremiah where he was told by God to go down to the potter's house and observe what he was making there and how during the process, somehow the materials the potter was using uh, became marred, the Bible says, or spoiled. And what did he do? He put it back in the batch, remixed it, figured it out, and, and put, put, put the lump back on the wheel and started reworking yeah. yes. the marred material into something new so that it could be useful. And that's, that's a picture of holiness that we are on the master's wheel and he's creating us, making us, sometimes remaking us. Yes. So we get spoiled. Um, and in the end, holiness means we're useful. And the usefulness comes, you know, it's applied in this mission of God to bless the world, to be a blessing, a tool in the master's hand to be a blessing. Um, so if you're having trouble thinking 
be holy as the Lord is holy. Just think of it in terms of usefulness. You are set apart and you're useful to the kingdom. And, yes. uh, you know, I'd like to wrap up if we could. Um, and maybe this would be a good way for us to conclude because I know that really we could, we could be on this subject for a long time. Yes. But, uh, but for the sake of our listeners who may have a life, <laughs> um, why don't we conclude this way? Talk about how the Holy Spirit intersects with us to accomplish this mission on earth. The Lord did not leave us as orphans. And I think it would be, we would be amiss if we did not talk about the Holy Ghost as uh, we, are, we are partners together, the church and the Holy Spirit to accomplish this mission on the earth. So please weigh in on how we, how we intersect with the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit intersects with the church to accomplish this mission. Well, I, I think if we break it down to the way you talk about Abraham, he has a calling, obedience, and that's how you fulfill the mission. In every one of those three aspects of that, um, the Holy Spirit is crucial. The Holy Spirit certainly is one that confirms our calling. And that calling isn't necessarily to be a preacher per se. It, you may be a pharmacist or you may be, you know, Joseph was a carpenter and he was worrying about a breakup with his, his girlfriend. And uh, all of a sudden the angel showed up and he realized that he, there was a whole greater mission to his life when it intersected with God's mission. You know, and he, but he never says anything in the story of Joseph, you know, the birth of Jesus. He never says a word. So he's not a preacher. He's a carpenter. He's a carpenter who obeys. He's a carpenter who's a really good dad because he obeys God. And all of a sudden, this life that seemed to be going nowhere takes on a whole new purpose to it because his life is intersected with God. So the calling itself, the very fact that we are called, the Holy Spirit is at work. And when it comes to the obedience, you know, the Holy Spirit is, in fact, does this great work in us of bringing forth fruit in our lives. And it's, it's when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, he brings healing from things that have hurt us, but he also then produces his holy fruit. He produces the fruit of love in particular, according to Galatians 5. Uh, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is love. And I, I've oftentimes argued that you understand the Holy Spirit is at work and that you're living a holy life, and the Holy Spirit is doing this in you because you love people. Yeah. I mean, the evidence of it is you love people. This is, of course, usefulness. I, I love when you're talking about usefulness because that's what's going to happen in your life because you're removing the sin that would otherwise get in the way. Um, and so the Holy Spirit enables us then to be obedient. Well, help us with that, but also change us so that we become people who can embrace the very nature of a holy God and reflect him and to be obedient. But also when it comes to going out to the nations, I mean, when you think of the book of Acts, you think of uh, the empowerment of the Spirit. Wait in Jerusalem because the Spirit's going to come on you, and you will be my witnesses, and anyone who's Pentecostal knows Acts 1a, right? And it's, it's ultimately to the world. I mean, the Great Commission in the New Testament is just really what God was saying to Abraham. Go, teach, tells Abraham to teach the next generation, and to the nations. The Great Commission uh, is just Jesus is sort of reiterating what God's mission has been all along. It's all interconnected. And the Holy Spirit empowers us and enables us to go to the nations. 
or to go to New England or the, you know, uh, to Delaware, to the East Coast um, and plant churches in what is otherwise difficult places because it's part of the all nations that we're, God wants to bless all nations. Yeah. You know? Well, I think that, you know, if we, if we allow the Holy Spirit to take us on that journey to bless the nations, we will understand what it truly means to be holy and righteous. Yes. If we, if we allow the Holy Spirit to take us on that journey, we will never, ever, I love what you said, we will never, ever second guess ourselves and wonder if our life matters. If yes. we allow the Holy Spirit to take us on that journey, we will go places that we never thought possible and do things that we never dreamed before. But because, you know, I love just using the personal example that you used earlier with your kids. You know, let's just take your daughter, for example. It was the school that she was able to attend in that Boston area that allowed her to take two years of Greek, yeah. right? You know, and she wouldn't have been at that school had you guys not stepped out in faith and trusted the character of God. You know, it didn't make sense. You know, not a lot of it didn't have all the answers, but you risked risk equals faith. Faith equals risk. You risked it all. You took your kids to a new place. But in the end, this this calling, this this being chosen, this election of your daughter uh, is now being played out and she is going to be another generation minister. And, you know, so it's, it's obedience, this, this following God, um, you know, once you start down that path, purpose, excitement, adventure, yes, struggle, yes, sometimes pain, yes, sometimes confusion, sometimes we, we, we wallow in moments of depression or anxiety or, or just at least just questioning whether or not things are going to work out. But that's part of the journey, and that's how we learn to trust God even more. If you know the character of the Lord, that's faith. Yes. And, and when you, you know, faith is not convincing yourself of a truth. Faith is knowing the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus, and understanding that, yes, he may call you to places that you never assumed you would go, may even call you away from family, and friends and connections, but that's exactly what Abraham's journey was. Leave your father's house, leave your country, leave your countrymen, just get going. I'll tell you when you get there. It's faith means trust. And, and I just, you know, I took tons of notes, filled up two pages. Um, and I hope that the people watching today were able to take a lot of notes and maybe go back and rewatch this again. Uh, but brother, it has been such an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. And I want to say thank you for giving us a little bit of your time. I know you got brand new freshmen showing up, right? And uh, a few days. People are getting moved in and uh, you've got classes to prepare and you're a very, very busy person. So thank you for making a deposit into our ministry here. Yes, you're welcome. It's been a joy. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Yes. Well, there is a mission. We've been invited to be a part of it. And that's exciting because we will never, ever wonder if it depends on us. If we're a part of God's vision, a part of God's mission in the world, it all depends on him, takes the pressure off, and we can just 
ride that wave. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. Would you close us in prayer, please? Lord, we're so grateful that you've created us in your image so that we have the unique capacity to participate with you in your mission. And Lord, I pray for everyone right now, maybe struggling with finding that purpose and direction in their life, that God, they will purpose in their hearts and they will submit themselves to the to the direction of the Holy Spirit within them to say yes to the invitation to go on mission with you. It's the greatest invitation. It's life-changing. Fill our lives with purpose and hope and meaning. And Lord, I pray that you grant them the faith to trust you. Your character is always trustworthy and to make the decision that it's no longer about my agenda, but God, it's about your mission and your agenda. In your name I pray, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Dr. Crabtree, and thank you for joining us for this brief interview. I trust that it was a blessing to you. I wanna encourage you, go out and ask the Lord, Lord, what are you doing? And how can I be a part of it? That's how you get on mission with the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right. God bless you. And we will see you guys next time.